Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. I hope that, like I am, you're looking forward to uh, the Gettys coming later this fall. Uh, they'll be with us for the Palmetto Artist Series, uh, the song we just sang, and then the earlier one that the choir did uh, is by them. And uh, one of the reasons we're having them is uh, because they are, uh, their goal is to give hymnody uh, to a new generation. Uh, Great music, but with uh, words that have theological accuracy and depth. And that's why we use an awful lot of their music here. And uh, I look forward to their coming. In Romans chapter 12, let's give our attention to God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by, te- uh, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, uh, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you set your love upon her And though in our day, Lord, among many, the respect for your church has diminished, we pray that you will help us to see your view of it, to appreciate that, to enjoy it, and through it, Lord, to love you all the more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, bowling was one of the most popular sports that people participated in. 
Now you might say, wow, really? <laughs> Long ago did you grow up? Well, as I read about it, from what I understand during those years, which would have been my growing up years, as many as one in ten Americans were in a bowling league. Now, the only thing I remember about that is uh, that we, me and my friends, used to go bowling, and you always had to call ahead to try to get a lane and so on, but that's probably why. Now, in our day, there is, according to some, a new phenomenon, and that is that people bowl alone. Almost unheard of back in that day. Robert Putnam wrote a book by that title, Bowling Alone. Here's the whole title, Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Now, in that book, he points to not just bowling, that's just a a simple illustration, but but to many areas of American life where the whole idea of community has so diminished that there is among many a craving for it. Now, as I thought about that premise, and I think he's, uh, he's got a point, although I never would have known that about bowling, It occurs to me that that is true with the church as well. In my 29 years of ministry since I was ordained, I have seen where the church, even in that relatively short period of time, for many has become more and more optional where people seem to have less and less time for the ministries and worship of the church, where it has become a lower priority. With uh, my pastor friends, we often talk about how busy everyone is. But that's still just a symptom because it comes down to a matter of priority. Last week's Sunday paper in Parade Magazine, there was a survey, um, probably a number of you saw it. One of the things that jumped out at me, it said 50% of respondents said they rarely or never attend worship services. Now, that would be true in my neighborhood. So far as I can see, that maybe half at the most attend church. But even with that, understand, we are right smack in the middle of the Bible Belt. So imagine other areas of uh, the country, how they must be at this point. Far too many. Gathering is optional. I will go to church I'll go to worship, I'll participate in that ministry, 
if something better doesn't come along. We even often talk about it in our staff, about how hard it is to get people to sign up. Not that people won't show up, because generally they do. We've got a a church where we've got a high uh, percentage of participation. But it's hard to get people to commit ahead of time. And the question is always, is that, are they waiting to see if there's something better that's going to show up? I'm convinced that these things are one of the reasons we're seeing two rather recent phenomena in our country in terms of the church. One is people quitting church altogether who have been in churches for uh, much of their life. Some people who've been in churches 20, 25, 30 years just completely dropping out of church. There was a time where that was almost unheard of. If you made it that long, you were going to ride it out at least. But there is that phenomena. And then the other is the decline of the impact that the church has on our society. I'm convinced that those have to do with people's view of the church. Now, before we go into what the church really ought to to be, let me lay one stone in the foundation that we've got to understand before we we get to anything else, what it's not, what it is, um, and that is we need to understand uh, about a love for the church. First of all, Christ's love for the church. In Acts 20, Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to care, notice notice this description, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It uses that phrase, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How much does he love his church? So much that that is who he died for. Further in the scripture, we see the church described as his bride. And we all know the beautiful picture there. The bride, in our case, coming down the aisle and the groom looking on his bride. And that's how Christ looks at his church, even to the point of dying for her. David in Psalm 26, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. His love for the place where the glory of God dwells. Now, where's that love gone? I believe that a part of that love lost is because of misconceptions about the church and about what it ought to be, and therefore, wrong expectations about the church. So let's start out with what the church isn't, what it is not. It's not 6952 St. Andrews Road. 
Now, in case you're wondering where that is, that's here, okay? That's, that's our address here. I've never had a point in a sermon just like that, but uh, in other words, it is not this building. That's not the church. Now, look, in, in our language, you, we use that phrase. I've used it this morning even as I began. Um, as I was leaving, I'm heading to church. So we, we're, we're not going to correct that part of it. It's okay. I'm not going to correct you. You don't have to worry about uh, saying that this is the church. But theologically, let's always make sure that when we talk about the church, at least from a biblical perspective, we don't mistake it for this building. Now, we can appreciate this building. We ought to. We've got a great place to worship and to learn. But we must never grow to love this building the way we love the real church. You know, when St. Andrew's began 26 years ago, they walked away from a building, those of you who were here walked away from all the possessions in that building to stand on the Word of God. And that's right. That was a right thing to do. And I always admired that in our history, that for that core group that came out, the Word of God was more important than bricks and mortar. And may it always be the case for us. Second misconception is that the church is not the PCA. If you have your outline, you see a bunch of other initials. Or SBC, ELCA, UMC, and so on. Now, for those of you that are saying, what in the world? uh, Those are denominational initials. Presbyterian Church in America, Southern Baptist Church. Church, uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, United Methodist Church, and so I could have put all the initials of all the denominations. You get the point. We need to understand as well that we're not saying that we as a denomination are the true church. We are a part of it. Those who really are in Christ are a part of it. But when we talk about the church and when the Bible talks about the church, and when it's the Word of God speaking of the church, it's not talking about an organization. And so let's always remember that when we talk about a love for the church, we we can appreciate our denomination. You know, I've given my, my whole ministry to this denomination, but it's still not equal with the church. A third thing we need to clarify, and that is that the church is not perfect, at least not yet. Now, that's important. Some tend to uh, speak badly about the church. And I, I hear it more and more seemingly all the time. And you know what? There are things in the church that take place in churches 
that are embarrassing, that are petty, that are sinful, sometimes bizarre. Those kinds of things happen in churches. However, we never say that the church is perfect. We claim only that the head of the church, the king of the church, is perfect. And that's closely related to the fourth problem, misconception, expectation, and that is this statement, the church is not filled with hypocrites. Now, one of the objections to the church, if you talk with uh, enough people, someone will say, oh, you know, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to be a part of that. I like the old uh, preacher's response to that. He's driving along, supposedly, in his wagon on his way to church, and he saw a man walking along, and, and he said, uh, why don't you jump in and come to church with me today? Man said, oh, no, the church is just full of hypocrites. Preacher said, well, come on anyway. One more won't hurt. Well, that's one way to deal with it. I think there may be actually a, a better way. But if that one works, uh, you might want to try it. Uh, here, here's what I think is the better way. We need to affirm that while... All hypocrites are sinners. Not all sinners are hypocrites. Do you get that? In other words, if, if they said, well, the, the church is full of people that sin, we'd say, yeah, that's true. That's why Jesus came. But not all those who sin are hypocritical. You see, we're hypocrites if we either say that we don't sin or pretend like we don't sin or when we know of sin, we don't deal with it. And if a church does that, then the world has the right to say that that church is hypocritical. But most biblical churches do not. They deal with sin. They acknowledge that sin is there, but it is not acceptable. And they address it. So, that statement that the church is full of hypocrites is an unfair attack. And it's worth defending. We freely and quickly admit that we are sinners, we are people who sin. But hypocrisy in the church, like other sin, ought to be dealt with. Okay, those are some of the misconceptions that can disillusion some about the church, that can diminish in 
in some people's mind, their, their view of the church. So what is the church? What is the attraction? And what is it that we ought to love about the church if we are to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We spent some time on the misconceptions. Let's look at the positive parts. And I hope that when you leave here later, you will see more and more your need for the church. I I think even those of us that would, if we were taking a survey, would say, yes, I I love uh, my portion of the church. I love St. Andrew's Presbyterian. I think far too many of us take it for granted. And we don't realize the beauty of the church. I have in my library a book uh, called Images of the Church in the New Testament. And in that book that I used in seminary, there are 96 analogies, 96 metaphors uh, from the New Testament alone uh, about the church. So obviously we can't go through very many of those. So I want us to to look at, at three of them. And believe it or not, because I, I can't remember the last time I did that. this, I'm going to use an acrostic today, A, B, and C. And i got to give Ralph, who is on vacation today, some credit because he, uh, uh, he noticed that and he, I had a different word for C. And he said, well, if you use this, then you got the ABCs. And I said, wow, okay, well, I will use that. So first of all, what is the church? The church is the assembly. That's the A. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, (coughs) not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that is almost where we left off last week uh, when we were talking about worship. We, we uh, used this verse as well. Now we're talking about the church as a whole. It is the assembly, the coming together. Uh, being a part of the church is not an individual thing. True theology is not an individual belief system. In a a day, and we are in that day, when so many are going their own way and withdrawing, not just bowling alone, but doing a lot of things alone, there are those that are longing to be a part of something greater than themselves. And I'm convinced that that's That's a longing that God has put within us. He made us that way. And that's one reason we need the assembly, the church. An old illustration of uh, if you take coals or or charcoal and you you fire them up and you see them all glowing and and, uh, uh, as hot as they can get and they're in a pile and then Uh, one of them, if you take it and you flip it off to the side, what's going to happen? 
Well, very quickly, it's going to cool down. It's going to adapt to its new environment, whereas over here it would stay hot because of the heat of the other coals. And that's what the church is. That's what the assembly is. When we gather together, it enables us, as this says, to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. I'm so thankful we have uh, Wednesday night ministries here. You know, it can be for those of you that are in, uh, in the workplace, in school, it can be a long time from Sunday to Sunday. And Wednesday night gives that opportunity to, to gather together. If you don't do anything but come and sit with other believers at the meal, you will benefit from it. But we also have the opportunity to, to grow in, in the Word on Wednesday night. That is so necessary that we ought not to neglect that. And then the second category is the body. Now, I read to you from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is uh, very similar. It even goes further in terms of the illustration of the body. Either one of those is a whole sermon or a whole sermon series by itself, and so we're, we're not going to go into those passages in the kind of depth that I would love to, but let me give you the bottom line of those. Uh, as I read earlier, we need to understand that everyone has a gift that is needed in the body. Some gifts are outward and noticeable, and others are more, more hidden, but all are necessary. you knew how many people it takes to do what we do on a Sunday morning. It's an incredible amount of people, and that's just what we do on Sunday morning. It doesn't even begin to touch all of the ministries throughout the week. It is all of the members of this church and all of the friends of this church, every single one of them are needed to carry out what we do here at St. Andrew's. And thirdly, this is God's plan for the church to accomplish His will through His body. That's why He calls it that. We can all understand that because everybody that's alive has a body. They understand that, that if you injure a, a very small part of your body, you realize how important that, that part of your body is. If there's illness in one small part even, even a part you can't see, it hurts the whole body. I suspect that more than a few people drop out of church because they either don't understand those principles or they don't believe it or they think, well, I'm, I'm the exception. I don't have any gifts. I'm not needed here. If you really feel that way, you need to speak with one of the pastors or one of the officers here in the church. Because we do need you. There are areas that need to be addressed. And if God has called you to this place, then it just might be that you're the one that we need for that. And then, in the ABCs, let's look at the C. 
the community. So we have uh, the assembly, the body, and the community. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, that's what I had written first, the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and prayers, and the prayers. The fellowship is the whole idea of communing with one another. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot, wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Some of you recognize that far too early. As the opening song from Cheers, sitcom about a local bar. I'm shocked if you recognize that, actually. No, I'm not. There are those that have said that the church needs to be more like the local bar. You know, accepting people, non-judgmental, letting a person tell their story. That's what the church needs to be. Let me tell you of an experience. It was about 2, 2.30 a.m. This was in a previous church, so don't try to figure out which bar this call came from. I got a call from somebody, and of course, you know, that early in the morning, I, <clears throat> I, it always concerns a pastor. And the first question, you know, I, I always go to the phone clearing my voice and so on. And uh, the first question is, uh, did I wake you up? Well, it did wake me up. It was the husband of a woman that was in our church. A husband that we had prayed for for a long time. He was an alcoholic. Wouldn't, couldn't work. The family was destitute. I had tried off and on to build a relationship with him. And so when I got the call, he said, I'd like to talk to you. He said, why don't you come down to the bar? And I could hear all the racket in the background. I could hear that he had been drinking way too much. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come pick you up outside the bar. I didn't know what I was walking into there. I'll come pick you up, and we'll go somewhere quieter where we can talk. He agreed, so I did, and we did. We sat in an empty parking lot talking, and, and he kind of used that phrase. He said, you know, you would have enjoyed it in there. He said, people accept one another in there. And they're not judgmental. And of course, he was implying like they are in the church. 
They're not judgmental in there. And he went on and on to talk about how wonderful it was in there. And so I took a risk. And I said, well, you know why they're not judgmental? You know why you can tell your story and not be judged and think you're accepted? It's because they don't care about you. And you knew I cared. That's why you called me instead of telling them your story. He finally agreed and was the first of several conversations that ultimately he came to the Lord. He left his lifestyle behind him and he found in the church in the body of Christ, in the assembly, in the community. He found a place where people did accept him and helped him along and enabled him to become a productive person who came to love Christ. Henry Nouwen calls the church a safe place to hit bottom. Paul puts it this way, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now in my life, I've only had trials that are common to others. Relatively few compared to what some folks have to go through. But every time I did, the body of Christ, the assembly, the community, the church was there for me and my family. When Connie had miscarriages, others were there for her and for us. When she was seven months pregnant and our two-and-a-half-year-old son broke his leg so badly he had to be in a body cast on his stomach. The church was there for us. When we had a toddler that for several years threw such tantrums that we began to wonder if she was demon-possessed, <laughs> others in the church were there for us. By the way, she's the one that stood before you at the missions moment talking about their ministry in the Middle East. When my father died, we were surrounded by our church family. When I had my heart attack, the church was there for me and for my family. When the marriage of one of our children fell apart. Benji. The church has been there for us. And it's there for him as well. I often, often hear from people 
that they didn't realize how loved they were until they went through a difficult time and their church family reached in and out to them. Frankly, I don't know how we would have made it through those times. And I don't know what we're going to face in the future. I'm sure of one thing, and that is that there will be many more trials, maybe much deeper than the ones we've faced so far. But I'm also sure, and I have every expectation, that whatever we face in the future, the beautiful body of Christ will be there. Love the church of God. Love the God of the church. And you will experience the beautiful body of Christ. Let's bow together.